Your Locked On Golden Knights, your daily podcast on the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Golden Knights. Bruce Cassidy wins the presser, and VGK finally gets rid of Evgeny Dodonov's salary. Hi again, everyone. I'm Tony Cardasco, along with Chris Golick. You could find us at Locked On VGK on Twitter, at Tony Dasco, and at TD Chris G on Twitter as well. Thank you for making Locked On Golden Knights your first listen each and every day. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. So Bruce Cassidy, out of work for all of what, about a week, was introduced as VGK's third head coach in its first six seasons yesterday, which is really hard to believe, Chris. And uh, so uh, as uh, they spoke to him, the media asked him questions and everything. I was really impressed with the honesty of Cassidy, the composure uh, the fact that, you know, he hit all of the right chords, unlike me this morning. He called for accountability in the locker room. He has, uh, you know, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I thought that that's good from the Boston firing still. And he said that he's going to be playing an attacking style of hockey. Most impressed also when he said that his team will have a trait and an identity of toughness. And that's something that we've been asking for for a while. I am not quite ready, Chris, to declare VGK the 2023 Cup champions yet, but it is definitely a step forward. It's a step in the right direction, and I just really liked everything that I heard from VGK's new head coach, Bruce Cassidy. How about you? Yeah, I agree on everything there. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, he was he was human. I think that's number one. He definitely gave everybody a glimpse into who he is as a person. Um, his personality. I liked his body language. I liked his uh, focus, if you will, uh, a little bit intense at times, but not intense to the point where he was ever, where it seemed like it was, you wouldn't want to talk to him if you happen to be at a bar or something like that. Uh, seems relatively down to earth. And I liked a lot of the things that he did say. Um, you mentioned uh, about his firing from Boston and such like that. And this is kind of a, you know, he has a chip on his shoulder to a degree. He also went as far to say that this is not a revenge tour or anything like that. So he's not making it personal. He's out to prove the Boston Bruins wrong or anything, but he definitely wants to show how he has grown from his experience with Boston. And also he's ready to uh, shed that skin, so to speak. All he knows is Boston as far as his recent coaching um, history and such. He's a new person now. He wants to show how much he's grown since then. Um, one of the things I did like was the path he took after George McPhee fired him, uh, you know, 20 some years ago now, or however long it's been, uh, went basically back down to the junior level and worked his way all the way back up to the NHL again. So a, a lot of storylines, a lot to like about him and a lot to look forward to for uh, season number six about being fired by VGK's team president, George McPhee, while in Washington, 
Cassidy said there has uh, always been a lot of respect, a good factor between himself and McPhee because McPhee did give him his first opportunity. And I also like the fact that uh, Cassidy said uh, this time uh, I'll get it right. That's what he told McPhee. Uh, There were some strange moments yesterday. Uh, I thought that Kelly McCrimmon was awfully just weird. I don't even know his body language, his positioning, uh, the way that the press conference was run. First, that there was a uh, comment from McCrimmon about Cassidy, the new head coach. And then they didn't give Cassidy the opportunity to have any opening remarks. They just went right into questioning. And that's when Cassidy kind of took the mic and started to tell a little bit about his journey. Uh, Cassidy going to the playoffs each of his six years with Boston. Again, got a raw deal, he feels, and so do the fans and media in Boston, from GM Don Sweeney, from President Cam Neely. And I just, you know, again, they didn't put the right personnel on the ice for him in Boston. How are things going to change here? How are things going to be different here in Las Vegas? That's one of my biggest questions because it's a lot of the same shenanigans and issues here. They have the talent pool here in Las Vegas, but again, they don't put the right players on the ice when they need them, especially down the stretch when they need it most. So a few things there. Um, I went back and just kind of thought about when Gallant was fired and DeBoer was introduced. DeBoer was alone on the podium for that, um, for that presser. And I, and I I really enjoyed a DeBoer uh, at, at his first presser as well. Um, but it was kind of strange that McCrimmon was up there next to uh, next to Cassidy. Was that, you know, a show of strength, a show of support? Did McCrimmon just want some camera time? Who knows the optics looked, looked there? nervous. He looked too nervous for me. You know, McCrimmon, he's he, he's an odd character. He, he doesn't have any charisma. And I don't know if that's something that I'm going to hold against him as far as how he is on the podium and such. I think, you know, some people have that type of charisma. Some people don't. Most head coaches do. Some GMs do. And even someone like George McPhee, I think, has that charisma when he has a mic and the cameras in front of him. But McCrimmon just, he, he's not that person. And I'm not going to hold that against him. I'll hold plenty of other things against McCrimmon. But, you know, his mannerism and such like that, I don't know. Um, one interesting thing, and you mentioned personnel, so I'm glad you kind of set me up here. So a question was asked. Um, about the roster composition. And now that you have your coach in place, do you start to basically recreate the roster, so to speak? And how much influence does the coach directly have to what the roster composition is going to be? And McCrimmon, right away, those, those two things are unrelated. Uh, you're not going to, you know, I'm paraphrasing now, but it's it's kind of like you don't cross the streams from, uh, you know, what the coaches do to what the GMs do and such like that. So I felt that comment was strange. It almost seemed like Cassidy won't have a whole lot of influence when it comes to offseason trades, which there's going to be more um, other offseason deals to create salary cap space. And then ultimately, which free agents to pursue, it seems like Cassidy is just going to be washing in the office and kind of see how those, uh, see how the next couple of weeks go. And that's a, a comment that I've been thinking about as well. And I, I'm not going to think too much into that because they hired Cassidy because they feel Cassidy fits with the core of the team as it currently sits right now, or whatever plans that McCrimmon does have in place to continue to get the roster cap compliant and to create new opportunities to pursue free agents. 
I think that Cassidy already fits that plan. So I'm not going to think too much into that comment, but the fact that McCrimmon was very quick to say, listen, it's my roster, uh, you know, Cassidy's going to coach, I'm going to run, run my world, you know, fine, sort of speak. But as the season goes on, hopefully we're not going to cross those streams and McCrimmon's going to start saying which goalie to play, how the lines are going to be set up and, uh, and all that stuff. I'm telling you, I just detected that they are not in sync yet. They don't really know each other yet. And then uh, to add to, you know, my point about McCrimmon being nervous, when they started to talk, Chris, about the hiring of assistant coaches, you know, first uh, we had uh, the case where Cassidy was saying he's got some candidates and what have you. Mm-hmm. And McCrimmon was quick to add, well, you know, I have some some guys, too, that, mm-hmm. you know, well, why would he meddle in that? Shouldn't that be? Uh, on Cassidy to name his assistants, his coaching staff, and then get the approval. Why would why would Kelly McCrimmon be involved with the hiring of assistant coaches that are going to fit Bruce Cassidy's system? Right there, I started to red flags all over the place, and I still believe, still believe that Kelly McCrimmon will be fired if they don't get out to a good early start. It's all fair. It is all fair. I know yesterday when we talked about this, I, I tried to sh- um, take a little bit of a less um, of a confrontational route, I guess you can say, about how I feel if McCrimmon is safe or not. Um, I, I still believe that McCrimmon has sold um, Bill Foley on a plan. And if things don't start off well, I think it, they'll try to take a relaxed approach and just trust the system, so to speak. That said, if December comes around and we are out of the playoff hunt by, you know, four, six, eight points or something like that, then, yeah, Foley at that point might uh, throw his arms up and say, I've had enough. And I think it's right now a tandem, if you will, because McPhee was the one who basically gave up his position and also got a promotion in the process. But McPhee was the one who basically masterminded the way to hold on to McCrimmon because otherwise McCrimmon was on his way to Seattle on the first boat to Seattle. We all, we all knew that. And then they obviously gave him the the promotion to hold on to him here. But at this point, McPhee and McCrimmon are a package deal. They either both stay or they both go Uh, back to the assistant coaches. I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Um, If I were to go back and run a poker room right now, my first goal would be to, you know, put people alongside of me that I've had success with. Uh, Shout out to my good buddies, Chris Condos and Mitch Dietz. We've had a lot of fun together uh, thinking about the summer right now and all the poker events. That just kind of gets my memories going and stuff like that. But I'm going to want the people that I have the highest amount of trust for that have worked well for me. And, you know, that's going to be my first phone calls, the people I've worked with, the people I've succeeded with. Now, if I go to my boss and say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be here, you know, thankful for the opportunity, let's go. And then they say, okay, here's your assistance. It's like, hmm, you know, I, I get the roster is, is, is the general manager's world. The roster is created by the general manager. And if the coach isn't going to have any input for that, fine. That's sometimes how that works. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But for the person who's going to be on my left and on my right on the bench in the battle, day in and day out and sitting in the office with me creating game plans and all that stuff, you know, that's, that, that's my choice. And, you know, my perspective, uh, that's my choice. And if you can't agree to those terms, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to be your leader. That's just me. Maybe it's a little different in the NHL, but you know, 
if uh, I'm in battle every day, I want to pick my left hand and my right hand of helpers, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's okay. It would be okay if McCrimmon uh, makes some suggestions, but he should no way be involved with what's happening on the bench for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, one of the criticism uh, criticisms that Cassidy faced in Boston was that he was hard on young players and he did not take a step backwards. I liked what he said yesterday. He defended more or less, kind of slid that in there. Uh, the way that he has coached the younger players by saying you have to earn your way into the NHL. That's why he isn't easy on his younger players. And then as far as, again, the identity of his team, one of toughness. I really like that. When he said that, you know, I was jumping up and down. Um, <laughs> he said that, you know, because they didn't play with intensity this past season. Uh, there was no life. It's a game of emotion. And you see that in the Stanley Cup final. There was no emotion on this uh, VGK team last year. And then, Chris, he said you have to value each possession of the puck. And then he puts uh, puts teams on the heels uh, by doing so. And he said that he has seen guys on the team by watching them uh, that they can finish plays. Uh, and then he also talked about Jack Eichel, which I thought was interesting. And I think he made a little comment that he slid in there as well. He had a lot of subtle comments yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, that Eichel has to know how to learn how to he has to learn how to win, which mm-hmm. I thought was was pretty interesting and straightforward. Yeah, I mean, go, just going back to the overall impression, and I think uh, you paraphrase it perfectly in, in the teaser in the beginning. Uh, Cassidy won the press conference, and he did did doing so by being honest, um, having he has a path, he he has a focus, and a clear direction, you know, tunnel vision between him and getting his name on the Stanley cup. And that right now is where Cassidy's focus is on Um, a couple of things that uh, you just hit on. I do like the comments about Jack Michael needs to learn how to win. It's, you know, very subtly, but also calling out, you know, one of your leaders on the team and saying, Hey, it's, you know, it's, it's time to grow. So I certainly like and appreciate that comment back to the younger players, earn your way. Uh, He went a step farther and made comments along the lines of some players have earned a longer rope or have earned their rope while others have not. So again, that's uh, going to the younger players. Um, We don't have many of them, but that's going to the the younger players and they have to earn their way in. I like valuing each possession. That's a wonderful uh, statement to make. Uh, He wants to have more time in the, um, in the possession game in general. That was something that he hit on. I got my lovely sticky note here in front of me. I'm just kind of going over some of the things I wrote down. Make sure, make sure you don't miss the one about special teams. The sticky uh, yeah, no, he said they were, they're going to work on special teams daily. That was uh that was a very important one. Uh, wants to do better in the face-off circle. That's something that we haven't uh, seen a whole lot of here in Vegas. We certainly got the, um, the what's the word to use the cliche quote you know you play for the the crest on the front not the name on the back and find whatever everyone everyone says that but you know there's going to be accountability there is going to be a clear identity something else to hit on toughness unfortunately this is not a tough roster we have a very wide range of players but you know even our checking line is not your typical energy line um Carrier is going to thump somebody fine. Uh, Nick Waugh, assuming he stays the fourth line center, you know, he's uh, he's going to let uh, Colasar should Colasar stay and we keep him through RFA. But we still, I think, miss the personality 
of someone who instantly makes your team come across as a physical team. Uh, Ryan Reeves, that's obviously the first name we're going to throw out there as far as uh, Vegas's history with physicality. So I think in the off season, they need to get somebody and this somebody may not even play 82 games. They may not even play, you know, 50, 55 games, but that's somebody who is going to get the crowd on their feet before they even deliver the check. You know, that that's somebody whose name will be chanted before the check even starts in the corner. I think something like that will help physicality in general. I mean, outside of line four, you know, Pacioretty, he'll, he'll thump somebody fine, but Stone is not a hitter. Eichel, not really. Looking at the, the Misfits line and Chandler Stevenson, Marchessault will, will mix things up a little bit, but, you know, he's five foot nothing, 112 pounds soaking wet. At the end of the day, he's not going to do a whole lot. Uh, line three, that's the big question mark, I think, coming into next season. But line three, I don't think is uh, going to have that physical player, at least not in-house right now. So I think addressing some type of physical defender personality, I think that should be a big priority in the offseason. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you there. And uh, the best part of the entire presser was that Bruce Cassidy was credible and he was believable. And I think he gave VGK fans a lot of hope heading into season number six. But again, not ready to declare them Stanley Cup champions just yet. They're going to have to earn it, like he says, the rookies do and the younger players do. And I just think that they're headed in the right direction. I really was impressed with everything that he said. And you talked about personnel. And coming up next, we're going to talk about Evgeny Dodonov. His salary at five mil is finally off the books. We'll talk about what VGK gets in return from the Montreal Canadiens. Stay with us right here on Locked On Golden Knights. Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting stats, all your sports information. Find all the sports developments, news, and odds, including the NHL Stanley Cup Final, Major League Baseball. Hoop season is now officially over in the NBA. And, of course, the latest fighting news from MMA to UFC and boxing. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today and use your mobile device as well and learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Welcome back to Locked On Golden Knights. Tony Cardasco and Chris Golick. I'm in Los Angeles today. My man, TD Chris G, is back in the hood in Las Vegas. And we talked a little bit a lot of it about uh, Bruce Cassidy and the impression that he made on us in the first presser that he had with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. And then, um, as many of us predicted, right, Chris, um, if Genny Dodonoff, we felt, would be the first player traded, right? That was consensus, I think, uh, in the offseason. And so, uh, again, he, they tried to trade him, went to Anaheim, didn't even get to Disneyland. They sent him back. The trade was negated. Uh, this time, it appears the trade is for real. So, Dodonov goes to Montreal for Shea Weber. Dodonov, Chris, finished with a season in which he had 43 points, including the 20 goals, played in 70, 78 games. And uh, Weber is a player that has his career is pretty much done with a variety of injuries. Uh, and I want to talk about this plan. Uh, plain and simple, it's a salary dump plan, right, that they come up with. Um, but is there any way that this could come back 
to bite VGK because Weber still has four years left on his contract. Uh, VGK would take on $3 million this year and then a million in each subsequent year. And we know that Weber's going directly, like most players do in trades or whatever, that come to VGK directly to LTIR. Uh, but what do you think about the deal? Does It gets the $5 million off the books for now. Uh, there's no way that Weber can ever come back. So they just take on a little bit of his salary, but there's no hit against the cap. And VGK clears $5 million in cap space, right? That's how it went down. Yeah, that's the short version. There, There's a lot more to it. And um, uh, credit just to Sinbin uh, had a lot of information out there about that that I was just kind of going through trying to completely understand the the second, third, and fourth layers to this trade. And there are some things that could come a bit down the road as far as LTIR, how much you can exceed it by. And there's some differences as far as when you send a player down, when you're already going to be over the salary cap due to LTIR, it's nothing. We're still in a better spot than we were. I think even a better spot than what the Anaheim deal was, but there could be some minor implications that could come back to bite us in the butt down the road. But uh, to paraphrase the deal, yes, there is now 5 million plus available in salary cap space, which is something we haven't had in a long time. Now, Here's there's two ways to look at this trade right now. One is, you know, you look at Dodonov has been shipped off to Montreal. We took on a contract and we're done with that. But here's how I'm going to look at this trade. The Vegas Golden Knights traded the Ottawa Senators the third round pick in the 2022 draft or the third round, our third round pick, along with Nick Holden. And now at this point, what do we have in return? The answer is nothing. nothing. So this trade originally acquiring Dodonov is a major head scratcher and McCrimmon simply put, you know, screwed the pooch on this one by originally doing this deal in the first place. Um, I think there was a lot of us scratching our heads when the deal was made and Googling Dodonov, looking at his stats. And at the end of the day, I think the ceiling and the floor were pretty safe for him. He was going to be an okay third line acquisition with limited upside, but he was going to put some points up. I think he was 20 and 23 last year, uh, that being 20 goals and 23 assists. So 43 points, but you know, $5 million for 43 points. I mean, that's uh we're, that's a lot of money you're paying per point right there. So, you know, credit to uh, Dodonov's um, agent for uh, putting that original deal together. And, uh, you know, Montreal hopefully uh, is going to get a little more out of him, but yeah, I mean, basically, Dodonov now to Montreal and nothing in return and having Shea Weber's salary, you know, somewhere deep in the books. I mean, we're in a better spot than we were now, but it would be nice to, you know, still have Nick Holden as our, you know, seventh slash eighth defenseman who's going to definitely, who would get plenty of time once injuries and things occur. Or, you know, what's the next move going to be now as far as, you know, because originally, I like many people, we saw, whoa, Shea Weber, I knew he was hurt last year, but wasn't sure if he was coming back. And the first thing I was thinking of is, uh, well, who's who, who's gone now? What, you know, Alec Martinez is the first name that crossed my mind. And, you know, but thank not I shouldn't say thankfully, because, you know, Shea Weber obviously wants to play and, and stuff like that. But thankfully, Shea Weber is not going to be taking a roster spot. So we'll kind of wait and see what happens with the def- with um, the defense going forward. But yeah, this is the first of, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, the first of many deals that are going to be happening we do have some cap space available right now 
you know, so maybe we might hear something about Riley Smith in the not so distant future. Um, William Carlson is the next person that I have my eye on, though, to see what happens with him uh, if a deal is going to be made or if Cassidy is going to take someone like William Carlson as a project and try and get him back to uh, his 40 goal ways back in season number one. Yeah, not until after his wedding uh, in mid-July will they make any moves there. And, Fair you know, uh, I think among the names, we talked about this on the air last week. I mean, about Matthias Janmark. I think he's one of the guys that I don't think they're going to offer through free agency. Um, a, a name that was bandied about yesterday on my Twitter line as the next to go, Laurent Brassois. Perhaps he, he will be uh, a player to go next. So do you have a prediction on who you think might be the next to go? I think uh, Brassois is going to be the easiest piece to move. Everyone can use a quality backup netminder. His contract is friendly in the sense that you don't mind paying 2.3, 2.5, whatever that, that number is for a backup netminder. But it's going to be someone who has, I think, a quality netminder already. I don't think anyone's going to take on Brassois looking for him to be the 1B type of goalie. You know, you look at a team like Tampa, you can start there, where if Vasilevsky uh, needs a spell every now and then or stuff like that, even the Rangers or something like that, you know, teams that already are going to have someone who's going to get probably 60 to, you know, 65 starts, injuries pending, and then Brassois comes in, you know, once every five to six days, depending on the schedule or help on the backside of back-to-backs. But yeah, Brassois definitely would be the easiest piece to move and a piece that someone would want uh, immediately to help next season. Yeah, I was so confused. I just had landed at LAX yesterday. My phone was <laughs> blowing up. And I was. someone said that uh, Shea Weber's been out of the game for three years. That's not true because he captained the uh, team that went to the Stanley Cup final. Right. Right? And that was the last time he played. And that was, yeah, a couple of years ago. A variety of injuries, just so the fans know. Uh, but the one that did him in was the ankle and foot yeah. injury that he yeah. just cannot overcome. Uh, but he had so many injuries. He played through injuries and finally it all caught up to him and he will not play again. And uh, he's about what, 36, 37 years of age anyway. Uh, so that I think, again, the fans are thinking he's going to come back. I thought he might be coming back. That's why I thought they made a trade for him. And that would have been a good piece if you had, a semi-healthy player there, you know, in, in Shea Weber. And you'd also have two Shays on the ice, two Shea <laughs> at the same time. Next season, uh, Chris, the NHL also announced the salary cap with uh, this was as expected, will be at $82.5 million. That's up a million mm-hmm. over the past season. Yeah, first increase uh, since uh, COVID began, I believe. So that's uh, a good thing as far as just getting getting back to the right direction. And, you know, again, kind of like you said, you know, looking into the trade and such, you know, at first I thought Shea Weber was, you know, possibly going to play. And my buddy, uh, John Nordahl, big hockey fan, best best hockey jersey collection in Las Vegas, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, he, right away, he corrected me and said, no, he, he's done. He's never playing again. But, man, imagine having that shot out there on the power play. Oh, my goodness. He Shea Weber has an absolute cannon of a shot. And I know we've uh, talked a lot about BGK's recent uh, troubles with quality shots and just those lazy shots from the point. Not Shea Weber. Oh, my goodness. There's a, you know, he he's the type of goalie you don't want to stand in front of, or he's the, he has the type of shot where you don't want to block it. You don't want to, you know, lay yourself out. And if you're a goalie watching him uh, line up from, uh, I believe the left circle. Oh my goodness. Oof. 
Yeah, that's that, that's why I don't want my son Christopher ever playing goalie in case uh, you know Shea Weber's kid makes it to the NHL. We also have to point out, you know, we talk uh, about some other topics here, and Gary Bettman announcing uh, as well this week the new season will begin on October the 11th, and the schedules will be out the first week of July. Uh, so, how deep into the season until VGK plays against the Bruins? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's only Looking it's only a one in one scenario. So. Yeah, but you got to maybe do that on opening night. That would the be Bruins fun. actually, I believe, the last couple of seasons they usually come to Vegas early, if I remember. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. Too. I remember season. So I, it was weird. I was actually driving home one night on the radio, and there was they were doing a ticket giveaway on um, on our local uh, sports outlet for the Bruins game. I think it was game number two of the regular season. I called in just for the hell of it, and I won, so I was able to give some tickets away to a couple of friends of mine. But I remember it was early in the season, and then going back to season number one, actually Malcolm Subban, his first VGK start was against his old team, the Bruins, and he actually held it, had a shutout bid all the way until I believe uh, midway through the third period of that game. And that uh, was a uh, uh, Shipachev's uh, first ever goal, Alex Tuck's first ever goal. Me and my son actually just watched the highlights of that game. So that's why that sticks out to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, again, they get the Don off finally off the books. I just wanted to know if Bill Foley officially approved this trade this deal because he said he wasn't in approval uh, the first time they tried to ship him to uh, to Anaheim stay with us coming up next we've got the Stanley Cup final game number two take a look a preview where we return right here on Locked On Golden Knights welcome back on Locked On Golden Knights Tony Cardasco Chris Golick I'm in Los Angeles today Chris is back in the LV in the 702 and Chris, uh, what does Tampa have to do to even up this series in game number two of the Stanley Cup final? I think, you know, first and foremost, I think they need to get better net minding from Andre Vasilevsky was not his best. Uh, he gave up three goals, I think, on the first 15 shots of the game. And I think that's where it's going to start and perhaps it could end if Vasilevsky uh, doesn't get back on track. No doubt. Um, definitely. It seemed that the avalanche had cracked the code a little bit. And I think um, uh, Jared Bettner. Blocker side, blocker side. Right. I, I think uh, Bettner made the comment that he specifically watched a lot of film from uh, the Toronto series because Toronto did find ways to crack Vasilevsky. They got that series to go seven games. And ooh, no, not a lot of love for a. Uh, for Tampa in game number two right now, the they're plus uh, during the plus one twenties, the uh, the American betting public uh, is sixty two percent in favor of Colorado and thirty eight percent in favor of Tampa, which tells me I'm betting Tampa, no doubt. Not because I just like them, but the American betting public is generally wrong. That's why we have all these nice, beautiful sports books here in Las Vegas with all these wonderful amenities that was built off of the losing bets from the American public. So there's a little hot take for you. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, going back to that game, I will still, still preach this. The, the avalanche had a wonderful start. They had an amazing start. They had some good shots. They got a couple of quick goals and then they got that two man advantage. were able to convert after that. They didn't score until overtime. They had a lot of great chances throughout the rest of the game, but from about, I would say, 12 minutes left in the first period to the two-man advantage, most of the second period, and then probably about, you know, the third period was about a 70-30 split, I think, in favor of Tampa. 
So Tampa was the better team for more of the game. The Avalanche were more of the opportunistic team. Um, I don't think Tampa is going to allow as many opportunistic uh, chances as they did in the last game. I also think the Avalanche will take a little bit of what they learned from game number one and find ways to get better. But, you know, I'm going to say the same thing I said going into the series. Give me the best goaltender. Give me the best coach on the ice between the two sides, obviously. And I think they're going to find a way to even this thing up just simply based on how much, you know, Tampa was the better team for more of the game in game number one. So in 11, uh, 11 playoff series since uh, 2020, the lightning have lost the opening game five times. And this Hmm. season, uh, the lightning losing the opening games to Toronto and to the Rangers by a combined score of 11 to two, but each time they've rallied back, and they've won the series. Uh, Darcy Kemper, uh, let's talk a little bit about him. Did he play a little bit over his head in game number one of the Stanley Cup final? I mean, he's playing well in general. Tampa is going to keep uh, teams on their heels and have a lot of scoring chances. Um, you know, Kemper, Francouz, I mean, they're the same player, in my opinion, as far as one being a little better than the other. I mean, maybe say Francouz uh, looked a little better than Kemper, but Kemper also was gone for a good chunk of the last series, missed time in the first series as well. So how long will Kemper, you know, last in this series? Will he go the distance? Um, he's going to have to play above his means. He's going to have to play above his limits to have a shot because Tampa, once they come in on those scoring opportunities, they convert. Uh, their power play has had some trouble as of late, which is something concerning because that power play uh, when it's on is, you know, I mean, Stamkos, not necessarily as hard as uh, a Vetchkin from that circle, but Stamco sets up from that circle. And one of two things happens, uh, he's going to find a way to uh, get that one timer or get it across to someone in the center there. But um, yeah, Kemper's going to have to continue to play at that level and even better and find a way to hold Tampa to three or less. Cause it seems like, uh, you know, four goals is going to be the number needed to win on both sides. I don't know how many two to one games we're going to see. And that's not a knock on either goalie. Um, Definitely not a knock on either goalie. There is just so much firepower on the offensive and defensive sides from the ability to score and defensemen uh, rushing the puck and such. But, you know, I'll still – my original prediction was uh, Tampa in five. I'm going to stick with that until it's not mathematically possible. So Tampa in five. But that said, I think the hockey fan in me and everyone else, I really hope we get seven games out of this because you have two very evenly matched teams – so much fun to watch uh, watch them going up and down the ice together. You know, we've talked about trade deadline acquisitions, and I thought that a big acquisition for the Avalanche, just with his physicality, Josh Manson. Could you imagine a Josh Manson on this VGK team? He had one series there, one sequence, I should say, where he just banged and knocked down like two players, like up and down the ice. Uh, someone like that you really need in this VGK lineup. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, you know, we need that personality. We need that excitement. We need the person, you know, and when they show them in the pregame warmups, they start chanting his name and all that. And I really think that needs to be a priority. I, you know, I was not on the Reeves bandwagon for a long, 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 long time. And then watching uh, your Rangers play really got me turned on to the fact that we need the personality back, not necessarily the, the, you know, someone like Reeves who's going to fight and stuff like that, but you just need that personality. You know, Tom Wilson, um, 
Uh, who was the, I can't remember the player on the Sharks. He had a cup of coffee in the NHL because he was just fighting every game and uh, oh, standing yeah. at the red line every game, just mixing stuff up. I forgot that player's name. I think he's doing things in, in the NHL anymore, but someone that can just offer that level of excitement. Yeah, they definitely need uh, to play a more tough and physical game. And I think that VGK is headed in that direction. And once again, we look forward to seeing Bruce Cassidy uh, and how this team develops. I think it's going to be a no-nonsense approach here in Las Vegas, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we thank everyone for tuning in today. Don't forget to check out Locked On NHL wherever you get your podcast, as they have updates on the NHL Stanley Cup Final. And I'm still kind of miffed on the way out, Chris. There will not be the NHL awards going on in Vegas. They're going to do it in Tampa uh, right before game four, and that just absolutely stinks. So bring it back to Vegas. We need the <laughs> NA- well, they gave out most of the awards already. I don't know what's left there. I know that you have to go there to receive yours, um, your trophy of merit, I think it is. Perfect. All right. For my man, Chris Golick, I'm Tony Cardasco. We thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back again on Monday right here on Lockdown Golden Knights. Take care.